welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. I am so excited here to have Bailey Cooper with us. Bailey um, and I encountered each other kind of randomly in a Facebook group as I was asking questions about our food system and the food supply chain. And Bailey just piped up with so many resources about her research and what she's doing. And Bailey is a dietitian. um, And I'm really excited to just hear all of the things that she's going to share with us today. This is more of a food focus than we have typically taken on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. Um, So a little bit about Bailey. Uh, Dr. Bailey Cooper is a registered and licensed dietitian and has been for eight years. She received her doctorate from North Dakota State University in exercise science and nutrition. She is passionate about providing nutrition education for rural areas in topics such as diabetes, heart disease, and sports nutrition. She currently resides in West Texas, training performance forces with her husband. So thank you so much for being here today, Bailey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited. Good. Do you want to tell us just a little bit more about where you're at, what you're working on, and then we can dive into the nitty gritty? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, so I live in West Texas. I have owned my private practice called Rural Health Education for a little over a year. Um, There's a couple of parts to it. One part is uh, my parents both have medical conditions that really made me feel um, they needed more support in our West Texas community, even though we come from a West Texas town that's about 100,000. For them to get specialty care, they had to drive at least three hours just to their doctor, which I know is really common in our rural areas, um, way too common, I expect, you know, um, and to me, especially growing up in a rural area and seeing kind of some of the struggles that they dealt with, with money, you know, finances traveling there and the stress traveling there taking off work and whatnot, um, really led me to want to pursue kind of the medical side and, um, more one-on-one topics. Um, and the other side of that, my doctorate is, um, to focus on advocating, for our rural areas and um, kind of the way that we're going to talk about a little bit about today is um, what that looks like in, you know, in our food and our diet, because it is so social media driven with, um, well, so-and-so said this on social media without a lot of research backing or having a lot of expertise. Um, And so I just felt like I really needed to be a voice of one, what was research-based and accurate and two, um, you know, provide a voice that is not false and doesn't create this false narrative that attacks um, good and healthy and safe ways to eat. So, yeah. Well, awesome. It sounds like you have a lot of passion for rural areas. Did that mostly come from growing up there and then the challenges to get good medical attention in that rural area? Or what else drove you to know that this was what you wanted to do and advocate for? 
Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely drove a lot of it, uh, being around both my parents. I really was, um, my mom actually didn't really struggle with, she was diagnosed with breast cancer actually five years ago this month. Mm-hmm. Um, but really my dad, uh, really struggled. He had type one diabetes and still does. Um, and so he, you know, having a unique condition, um, really didn't struggle, but also didn't have the, anyone to have expertise in the area. So that was a little bit of it. Uh, another part was when I moved to North Dakota, um, I just, saw so many of the dietetic students that I worked around. They, you know, would come from the Twin Cities or bigger cities in Minnesota, and then they would go back home. And so a lot of these rural areas would not have a dietitian. Um, and, you know, North Dakota is so big <laughs> that you would have to drive just like West Texas. You'd have to drive so super far to have this medical care. Um, so that, that would definitely was part of it. Both of those. So, yeah. Well, I have such a heart for rural areas too. So I'm so excited we have that in common. Um, Tell us a little bit about your research and what you have been focusing on there. Mm -hmm. So I had a really exciting opportunity. Um, I had never been to North Dakota until I applied and moved there and fell in love with the program. But uh, my mentor, Dr. Sherry Stastny, um, really, she is the one that I worked under for my whole entire um, program. So she really was the capstone to the research and still to to this day is doing an amazing job, um, really clearing the air of beef research and animal-based protein research. So definitely want to give a shout out to her. And then, um, so she is a dietitian and she's also a certified sports dietitian. So a lot of her research is kind of as a sports side, but also, um, she focuses on a lot on sarcopenia. Sarcopenia is essentially the, um, degenerative issue with muscle mass as we age. Um, so the biggest, yeah. So the, um, her biggest drive and I'm an advocate for it as well is, um, while we age, the more muscle mass we can hold on, the more independence we have, and the more likely we're actually going to prevent, um, major conditions such as heart disease and diabetes while we hold on to this muscle mass, um, which luckily farmers and ranchers, you know, just our lifestyle of being laborers, uh, for the most part, you know, um, we are able to have muscle mass, but, and hold on to that. But like, what does that look like long-term and, um, how do we explain that to medical doctors, things like that. And so, um, I helped her as far as the nutrition side. And then we actually partnered with, um, Dr. Kyle Hackney, who is the graduate program director there at North Dakota State University. And he mainly focuses on exercise science. So we kind of all combined our research team. Um, so we had dietitians on the team. My job was to look at um, three-day food diaries from, I'm trying to think how many subjects we looked at, but a couple of studies, we at least had over 100 participants. Um, When I left, we were mainly looking at female participants, ages 18 to 90. And so we had a really good chunk of a wide range of females. And um, we looked at their animal-based protein intake, but just overall what they were consuming through their diet. Um, that is the most accurate way to look at our diet is to take two days during the week. You write everything down, you write portion size down, and we would actually train all of our participants on how to do this, what portion sizes look like, the more detail, you know, and then we would actually use a software called Isha. Um, it's created by the USDA and it's very accurate as far as you essentially type everything into the, the software and then it spits out a really nice kind of breakdown on micronutrients, macronutrients and things like that. Um, and then on the exercise science side that we still did at the same time, uh, we pulled blood values that looked at metabolic markers such as diabetes and lipid. Um, and then we also did muscle quality, muscle endurance and muscle strength exercises and then pulled all of that and had a beautiful amount of data. So we're able to look at a bunch of different studies um, or kind of create a bunch of different studies within, you know, the giant study that we looked at. Um, so, yeah, that was very long, <laughs> a long methodology. Um from that, um, I specifically got two articles published. One of them I'll kind of share. Um, there are very few research articles, and luckily it's getting better, that look at um, female intake of 
animal-based protein, um, mainly because females are a little bit more difficult to research just because of our hormones and menstrual cycles and birth control and all those things. So that was a really exciting thing. And we actually compared um, young females, so females 19 to 35, and then older females, and they compared their metabolic risk. So metabolic risk is diabetes and heart disease. Um, and then you can kind of throw in some other diseases off of that. But really, that's the main two, diabetes and then heart disease. Um, so we looked at their average intake of animal-based protein and then their risk as far as these disease conditions. Um, found that the younger adults, females, consumed less animal protein, um, assuming that they're like college age, can't really afford that as much. Um, and then older females actually consumed higher than the average. So that was really exciting. Um, mainly, you know, cause a lot of our states like North Dakota, Montana, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, our beef states, um, that was really exciting that our older females are consuming enough animal-based protein so that they can prevent sarcopenia. Um, so that was one exciting Two, um, as we age and even younger adults that are females, we need more iron, um, and heme iron because animal-based protein has heme iron. We're able to absorb that a lot easier. Um, and then animal protein is actually easier for our body to break down as well. So as females, um, you know, advocating for that, one, but two, like having research to back that up was really exciting. So that was one of our studies we got published about two years ago. Um, so that was one of the big ones that we found. But That is really cool. Um, I've never heard about like the muscle mass and how that impacts you through as you age mm -hmm. um, for conditions that are like you would never assume necessarily are related to muscle mass. Uh, that's very interesting. So as you were doing this, um, this research, was the, was that the information where you were, I guess, I'm not super familiar with the type of research you did. So were you setting out to just discover what things you saw in the data or were you seeking to like determine exactly what levels of pro animal proteins these age groups were eating or what was kind of the goal when you started? And then is that kind of where the journey took you or? Yeah. Did it vary? Um, so a lot of what you'll see, which is, um, it's, it's nice, but it's not a lot of nutrition research because instead of putting people in labs that are super controlled, a lot of it is what's called observational. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll bring people in. So really there's a lot of two types of research that you'll see with diets and it's observational, which is let's just sit down and see what you eat. We could do it for every single day. Um, the next is intervention. So let me give you beef every single meal and then we'll see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. With your, your body and your blood values and things like that. Um, observational is a little easier because, um, people are pretty, for the most part, especially females, we're pretty accurate and we won't lie about what we eat. Um, and so you'll kind of get a really nice, like people want stress, they're eating what they normally eat, you know, going about their day. Um, on the weekends, if they're, you know, going out of town, they're not going to lie about it. You know, it's, it's really nice. Um, the good thing with the software that we are using, we found a way, um, you know, I was like diving in in a blizzard one day. <laughs> Um, Dr. Sherry Stastny wanted me to find a way to look at separating animal-based protein from their diets. And then on top of that, we were actually looking at, um, the amino acid called leucine and animal protein specifically is higher in leucine and it actually turns on, um, our muscle receptors so that we can create more muscle. And so that was another thing that we wanted to look at too, is the amount of leucine that, um, these individuals were, were consuming. We didn't specifically talk about leucine in that study, but we, um, essentially were able to look at a lot of different things within that data. So, um, it was sponsored by, I mean, like <laughs> disclaimer, it was sponsored by North Dakota and Minnesota beef commission. Um, so it's, but I mean, the good thing about being researchers is ethically, you know, we're just looking at what's happening um, and then trying to figure out, you know, what does this data look like comparing it to muscle mass because we had all that and then comparing it to blood values. So, yeah, it was um, it was fun, but it was cool to essentially like break it all down um, and then using statistics to try and compare a lot of the different numbers that we got. That sounds very fascinating. Yeah. Um, I like your disclaimer about that. It was sponsored by the Beef Commission. I think it's so challenging to 
talk about that and to think about that because the re- to get the research done, somebody has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And obviously the people who are interested in it are the ones most likely to pay for it. But I feel like anymore, people are very cautious of trusting data sources and research studies that are paid for by people who potentially have a financial interest mm-hmm. in the research data. Right. Um, it's just, I feel like it's one of those like chicken and egg things that we just have to be aware of anymore, of knowing where you get your information and looking at how it's presented. Right. So, I appreciate the disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> But somebody has to pay for it or it doesn't get done. It never gets exactly right. Cool. Um, well, that's so as you kind of have developed your practice and moved to Texas, how has that research influenced what you do now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing that I am not um, necessarily struggling with because I'm not in the lab 100 um, percent. And, you know, to do that type of large research investigation, it really does help, you know, having a, a university backing. Um, so what I've done more in my private practice is making sure that um, I am continually putting out on social media, correct nutrition information. Um, you know, I feel like every day we turn around and it's like something new, <laughs> something new attacking animal based protein. The most recent was is the lab grown the lab grown beef um so making sure that if i am seeing something and that actually like happened the week that i was having our son and so i was like oh no you know it's been a month like i need to make sure i put something out there um and so making sure one you know putting my research hat on and kind of being a devil's advocate like if i did live and um one i did live in a metro side and i was seeing lab grown beef and how it's going to save the environment right so you kind of put my devil's advocate hat on and then really dive into the research and then see one methodology is a really big um part of what i look at because so many times and i have to kind of explain um, to this, to some of my friends or colleagues is, um, there's two ways that you can write research articles and what a lot of news, um, publishing you will see is they will pull from essentially like a summary of this research and the research, the researchers do a really good job to write a summary that is eye catching and they really may not put everything in there specific to their methodology. And then, uh, you'll do some digging, right? Or I'll do some digging. Um, a lot of times, kind of like what I was saying, we are looking at three-day food diaries. Well, that's the most accurate. So then you'll see, you know, like a plant-based diet or lab-grown beef diet, and they did research. Well, they're only doing um, a different methodology that's not as accurate when we're looking at average intake for the mm-hmm. diet. So um, that's why I always kind of cautious because I'm like, they're not one – they're saying they found this, but we know that is not the, the most accurate, the way that they pulled that methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually is what happened a long, and it still does happen to a lot with um, heart healthy diets is they'll say, you know, they'll pull a survey from like 2000 adults, but they'll say, Hey, just do, um, it's called a food frequency questionnaire. And, um, so they'll have tons of people and tons of food frequency questionnaires, not as detailed as what we did in our research lab. And it does take a lot more hands on. You have to be a dietitian or at least trained into reading all these diets. Um, and so (laughs) that, you know, that's what I was trying to do now, as far as my practice goes, was making sure one, the right information that's out there, Um, and now a lot of it too is, um, I do try to do some talks every year with larger organizations, you know, whether it be, um, some of our like beef, beef organizations or nutrition organizations when I try to do speaking events. Um, but continually trying to, um, like I did one this last year with the university of South Dakota medical students, um, educating them on a lot of the research that's out there for beef and for them to, um, they actually work all in rural areas and that is their goal is medical students long-term. And so um, giving them a lot of the correct information as far as beef consumption, because all they hear is heart healthy, heart healthy, you know, no beef, no beef. Well, they're, all they're doing is working around beef ranchers or beef, you know, raising families. And so <laughs> they're like, we hear all this information, like what's actually true. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, it looks a little different that I'm not in the lab, um, but it's still, 
is a passion of mine is making sure the correct information is out there. Um, hopefully, you know, advocating for more, you know, better ideas of ways that we can look at not only beef, but other animal animal protein. Um, and I even would throw soy and wheat out there. There's a lot of misinformation about both of those. Um, luckily it's getting better, but I think there is a lot of false information that both follows both of those food products around too. Yeah. Looking at the methodology of studies, that's such a great tip. And then a lot, I mean, like for somebody like me, I wouldn't know that a frequency based research methodology versus a three-day food diary like I would not know that one is more accurate than the other so knowing that like if you want the full details to reach out to somebody who does have that expertise Mm -hmm. is really really helpful because I feel like a lot of us do we have more access than ever to that research but if you don't know how to interpret it and read the between the lines pieces then it's not exactly helpful definitely well so you said that you also worked with someone who was doing the exercise science side of it um, with your research, what did you guys find or what, how did that kind of tie into what you found with the muscle mass? Mm-hmm. Um, so and I'm trying to think specifics of not specifics, but how to, how to explain it. Um, so the way that we look at muscle quality, which is super cool because a lot of us, even you farming and ranging, we're really used to diagnostic ultrasound because um, breeding cattle <laughs> and breeding, really breeding anything. And so it's nice because it's like talking about the ultrasound. You're like, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. So there is a really cool way to look at the rectus femoris, which is the biggest muscle in the thigh um, and to so the front of our thigh. Um, and you can actually measure it with an ultrasound. And so the bigger that rectus femoris, the larger um, that your muscle quality is for the rest of your body um for the most part is we're kind of you know assuming that's what it would look like and then there's actually another machine um that they would run test and um it's kind of cool you pull connect it to your legs and you push pull push pull for a long time um so we found um specifically as you're aging that you want to still can work to consume larger amounts of animal-based protein the biggest issue that we have as we age is our teeth obviously start to deteriorate um deteriorate um so finding ways to still incorporate animal-based protein as we age is really important um and also making sure that we are having a higher than average amount out for me when I'm educating older adults, especially. Um, and a lot of it is because we lose the ability, you know, to walk and stand and all those things. Um, so making sure that we're getting quality protein from our diet actually prevents that. Um, and that kind of goes back to the leucine is when we have leucine in our diet, our muscles are still turning on. We're still able to regenerate muscle cells. Um, so all of those combined, especially, you know, I'm really passionate about the diet side, um, with exercise is making sure, you know, we're kind of on that prevention mode rather than, and um, I have and still do work part time with a hospital. And so when I see, you know, that acute, acute patient, it's we're kind of a little too far gone. So we're always kind of on the prevention side of making sure, oh, you know, you're slowly losing your teeth or you're slowly losing the ability to walk, making sure that we're having a good source of animal protein at every meal. Um, what that looks like, you know, do we need to have it ground up? Do we need to have it softer? Things like that. So. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Lexi here, and I'm interrupting the show to tell you about a new option we have for marketing support for you. I've met so many people the past six months who are looking for DIY marketing support, and while I primarily offer marketing packages and website design in my marketing business, I'm excited to have something just for you DIYers too. So I know you need answers quickly to help you overcome tech challenges and get feedback on your marketing content when you have a spare minute to work on it. And you want to keep growing and learning how to make your marketing work in a way that makes sense for you. Here's what I've got for you. First, you can sign up for a free marketing toolkit, which includes social media post templates, email marketing outlines, video ideas, and a content planner and tracker. And to get tutorials and answers to those pressing questions, sign up for our weekly marketing tutorials for just $10 a month, where we tackle your most frustrating challenges together. Or sign up for the marketing support line, where you get direct access via text message to ask all of your tech support and marketing advice questions. It's like having a marketing and tech support person in your back pocket. We solve website issues, social media challenges, and just give feedback on the content you're creating. You can find those options at 
LexiWrightConsulting.com slash social under marketing support. Um, you kind of talked about how in the younger group in your study, there was a lower amount of animal proteins being consumed. And I am fascinated by how our food culture changes, um, not only like in rural areas, but at over time and as we're at different points in our life. Do you think, I, I guess, as food has evolved over the years, um, what are some of the things that you think we need to be paying attention to? And what do you think is coming up that are things that we need to like maybe be aware of culturally about our food choices? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, especially this younger generation. And that's why I was so excited and still am, you know, as I continue to educate the younger generation, because so many of our medical professionals, I think, are distrusted by our population thinks COVID, right? And understandably. But um, the more I think our younger generation has the accurate information, because they can, and they still do, understand TikTok and everything else faster than I do. And I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself like, you know, an older generation, but because they can access things faster, making sure. And I think, you know, even when I was 20, like I would soak things in so quickly. I was just like this little sponge, you know, you're like independent away from your parents. Um, so making sure they're getting the correct and accurate information. Um, one and two, I think affordability plays a big role. Um, and so I think the more that we can educate on, okay, well, maybe you can't afford this type of animal protein. Doesn't mean you can't forever, but there's a reason you should actually try to increase it in your diet. So like young, our young female generation, um, and they still do it. They always think that more protein is going to make them bulkier. I uh-huh. even my age, right. It's still a thing. <laughs> um, and so one, that's not true. And two, um, you know, making sure they actually have energy levels from that animal protein, not energy levels was a weird word, higher iron from that animal protein. And so especially that younger female generation, they're really high as far as anemic goes, as far as their anemic diagnosis. Um, and a lot of it is they're not getting enough animal protein because they're not able to absorb all the iron. So just constantly kind of like pushing that education. Um, okay. You can't afford beef right now all the time. Can you afford eggs? Can you get beef and freeze part of it? Right. Um, making sure we're educating as far as like direct consumer purchasing, that would be cheaper. Maybe it is, you know, do you have people that you could split a roast with, you know, so kind of getting creative as far as younger generation goes financially. Cause I think that probably is one of the biggest reasons. And as far as kind of our generation and culture, like how that changes, um, <laughs> may I mean it sounds silly but like making it trendy like the biggest thing I'm seeing right now which cracks me up I just laugh so much um because a lot of what I learned in school and still research to this day um is not trendy right so like does it necessarily change sorry I have to grab my charger um and Five years ago, if you would have asked this cute little group of women, hey, raise your hand if you eat wheat bread, it would be like one person. (laughs) And now all of a sudden, every single woman is a homesteader and they all have their own mill. And I'm like, where did the tides change? (laughs) What what happened that all of a sudden this turned trendy? And so it's funny. um, But at the same time, like that's what a lot of, you know, we're consumers. That's what a lot of people are going to follow. Um, I, I just giggle. Like, I think it's funny because we, I never changed wheat bread was always recommended in the diet, right? Like, um, yeah, I love that you're making your own bread. I love that you're making sourdough. I love sourdough, like pretty spring it over to my house. Like, please bring all of the wheat rolls. I love it. Right. Um, but it's like, we never changed. I all, we always recommended to have at least half of your grains be whole. Um, and now it's trendy. And so now I'm like, cool, let's ride the train of trendiness. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're getting protein, you're getting iron, you're getting great sources of fiber from milled wheat. Um, but we always did. And so kind of 
instead of fighting the trend, making sure we're kind of riding the wave of the trend. Um, and it's, I mean, I used to get frustrated with it when I was younger because I'm like, yeah, we always say that. But now I'm like, yeah, eat the wheat bread. Come on. Because <laughs> so, um, that's what especially with the like TikTok, Instagram-y thing. And, you know, who knows? In the next 10 years, I'm sure it'll change and we're like watching something else. But um, that's kind of one thing that I have to remind myself is like, it's annoying that it's trendy, but at the same time, that's what people are listening to. So let's make sure we're, they're getting accurate information. Yeah. So, I think just, I laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it is crazy how fast the whole homesteading thing came about um, because it was, I mean, even 10 years ago, like basically unheard of. And now it's everywhere. But I think a lot of what people started paying attention to there is you mentioned COVID that that basically changed our entire food system overnight, (laughs) which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But also a lot of folks started paying attention to the ingredient labels a lot more than they used to, I think. And I'm curious about your opinions on that because so many things, I I see a lot of content about don't count count your carbs or your calories, count the number of ingredients on your food label to know if it's actually good for you or not. Right. So, and I... I try to be cautious, right? Because it is, it can be a little overwhelming because it's so, it can be like, I could sit there and like talk to five different people about on social media. It's like this post and this post and this post because, um, and I always use this quote for my dad because I think it's so relevant. I think about it every single day. My dad's like, you will never not have a job because people always have to eat and he's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> so that's how I feel every time I get on social media. It's like somebody it's somehow always relating to the diet or relating to what we're giving our kids and whatnot. So as far as the labeling goes, um, in the food ingredients and the dyes, gosh, the dyes, like that's going to drive up the wall. Right. Um, I think the most frustrating part is we actually, I actually don't recommend having a large amount of packaged foods for kids or adults, right? Like when I am educating someone and, or even a bigger group and I'm like, Hey, let's look at our diet. This is what's recommended. I don't ever mention packaged foods ever. <laughs> like, yeah. like here's a great, you know, let's talk about dairy and it's like yogurt might be packaged, but it's in a container in the fridge. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, we're looking if it has added sugar. Well, everybody knows what sugar is. And then it's like, does it have real fruit or is it fruit without a sugar? Um, Same thing about fruit. Is it fruit, frozen fruit, fruit that's dried? Those three things. Same thing with vegetables, canned, frozen, fresh. Um, And so I think that's where I get really frustrated is we actually shouldn't be looking at any of those food dyes or ingredients. Like, let's look at the the options of food first. Um, and then let's look at the packaged and easily accessible foods, right? Convenience foods. Like I would put all of the foods that have large ingredient labels or, um, dyes, those would be convenience foods. So when I'm, when we're educating or talking about the diet, like that's not our first go-to. Um, and I get it now that I'm, you know, like, example of my day. Like I fit in riding horses and I try to grab a quick lunch. Um, but if I were to grab packaged food, same thing, it would be an applesauce (laughs) or, you know, or like a dried, dried fruit or granola. So I think the biggest thing is we should kind of like change the view and be like, what in our diet are we consuming that can be convenient that's fresh, frozen, canned or dried, and then go into this like second label of packaged convenient foods. Um, but the easiest thing, I guess, to understand packaging food because, because I had to take so much chemistry. <laughs> um, I don't always agree with the less la- the less ingredients, the better. Um, because a good example is like my face wash. Like I know what all of those things are, Um, but I had to take a ton of chemistry. And so I think it can kind of be confusing. So if we're looking at, um, I'm trying to think of a food product that's like heavily 
layered with chemicals. Mm. I'm trying to think of a good one. Um, like fruit snacks, maybe when it would have like, you know, tons of colors and tons of dyes. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily agree that like fruit loops, they have all tons of colors and those, all those colors came from chemicals and the mm-hmm. weird fruit flavors. Right. So it's like, I don't necessarily agree that fruit loops are quote, quote bad. It's like, but they had a ton of colors. So they had to change all those to colors from chemicals. Um, but it kind of goes back to the, if we're looking at fruit loops, could we have chosen like a higher wheat food option or a cereal that maybe took longer to cook, like a skill cut oatmeal over fruit loops. So I think it's just the mindset of things maybe yeah. needs to change a little bit. Um, because I, I don't like think it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, I understand and I completely agree that we need to look at all those food dyes and all of those ingredients that could be harmful. But at the same time, if your kid is having fruit snacks once a day compared to all of the fresh and frozen and other fruit options that they're getting, that is not going to hurt their health. But if they're having those fruit snacks six times a day with like a Kool-Aid and <laughs> Cheez-Its, and that's like what they're living on for sure. But like, that's a diet issue. That's not a packaged food issue. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's more the mindset of things, but I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with it, but it is, it can be overwhelming um, because I can't necessarily speak for myself, even as a mom, because I, I work from home. So even then, you know, even when my kids are five or in elementary school or, you know, I have one kid now, right? So even when he's in school, I still have the ability to kind of work away from convenience foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, even as our rural community, making sure that we're having the mindset of let's look at all of these food items. And then if we really need to go, like I have a, a list in my private practice, of we're at a truck stop, but we're still having the mindset of real food. Mm-hmm. What can we get? That's like the closest to those options rather than those like highly concentrated packaged foods. That makes total sense. And I think you're right. It's like, it's a mindset thing and it's a tiered approach of like, it's not do we completely cut all packaged foods out of our diet and have to make a hundred percent of everything at home from scratch? Mm-hmm. It's here's the situation. Here are the options. What is the best option for this situation right now that we can right. choose? And what, and that's going to change over time as your budget changes for food mm-hmm. as your age, as your location, like you said, like it just depends Mm-hmm. On your situation. We, I work from home as well. I have a lot more options about how I eat, when I eat, what I eat than someone right. who works in an office or works on the road or whatever. My That's husband works on the road and eats so much fast food and I feel terrible. <laughs> but <he has> to- <laughs> uh, um, I think the other thing that's interesting though about that is it's like a whole ideology. Like you mentioned about the trending stuff on social media it's like we get pushed into this overwhelming, you have to do it this way or you're doing it wrong or you're going to be super unhealthy. Yes. What are your feelings about that? Um, <laughs> what are my feelings? You won't judge. Um, I absolutely, I just, I despise this. I think it's another way that our society creates this fake standard um, because gosh, it is so hard even now as a mom, um, even when I wasn't a mom, right? I was a dietitian. And so it's like dietitians have to look the part and dietitians have to look this. And I'm like, no, no, like I'm a very loud dietitian. I ride horses. I want to be strong, all of these things. And another dietitian is not going to look that way. And so it definitely can be frustrating um, because I think one, it sets a narrative that says and a standard that says um, you're not good if right. You're not good enough if um, you take all of these things out of your diet or you take all of these things out of your home Um, because that's one that's just not real. And that's, I applaud women or families that, can do that or that find that necessary. Like that's, that's not our home. And 
to me, especially because I've done a large amount of research on stress and how stress impacts, um, our bodies and like what we're able to handle, Mm -hmm. um, stress plays just a big of a role as if I were to take every (laughs) chemical out of my home, because that is one more thing that I have to do. And then I'm worried about that's increasing my anxiety, increasing my cortisol level. And I already know that I'm at risk for cancer and diabetes. And both of those are connected to stress. Um, and I also think it creates I don't think many people understand that. Like just to stop you real quick. Yes. I don't think people know that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I can back up. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll start, I'll start over. Um, <laughs> the cortisol is a hormone. It's a stress hormone response to our body. Um, oh, this is a good example for like farming and ranching. Um, so there's, there's really nice study. Um, and this is kind of an animal advocacy side. So there is this really nice study. I want to say it was Kansas state, but don't quote me on that. Cause I could be wrong, but it was an ag school for sure. So they wanted to see if, um, a lot of animal advocates, um, against ranching is how detrimental it is to calves to pull them away for their moms to brand and castrate and um what am i trying to say vaccinate right Mm -hmm. um so the old old cowboy way they actually don't pull them away from their mom they do them for for a time right we they rope brand quickly push back to their mom like they're with their mom within minutes if not faster right Mm -hmm. depending on what cowboy rig you got going on and what crew you have um the and then so they tested other levels so they tested the calf rotator and then they tested if we just completely separated all calves and then um actually pushed them back into like a sale barn so they're just like off the mom right um the least amount of cortisol that was in our cat the calf was old school cowboy way so it may look unethical um, or detrimental to the calf but it actually created the least amount of the cortisol because the calf could run directly to the mom and have the least amount of cortisol well when we're consuming beef obviously we want a calf and a cow that's very low stress right um same thing with our body so cortisol is released in our body when we're super stressed um going to our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system we want to be the least amount of stress and the least amount of flight or fight mode um is the way that we can control stress so like super relaxed de-stressed a lot of that plays a role in finances um our family situation what we're eating so our financial ability to eat um so just kind of like our everyday lives but because we have um family history of all of our medical issues um the more stress we have on our body the more likely it is that our body is like well we are so so stressed our heart is racing all the time cortisol levels are really high that actually makes the rest of our organs continue to overwork so our pancreas has to overwork our liver has to overwork because it's always trying to respond and get that cortisol level to go down um so when we're constantly overworked you know if you think about that for like 30 plus years um that is when you start to see um there's obviously other factors but you can see this response of diabetes and heart risk from a high stress level um so kind of going back to (laughs) this unnecessary i think it's unnecessary standard because when we're thinking and i always say this about diet too so like i i'm not a chemist and i don't study that area so i'll just keep it with food (laughs) um when we're eating in our everyday lives and we're thinking about the way that we're eating and how to keep lower our stress right so like a lot of um my clients we like i get super stressed when i have to and it's like they have to plan their meal okay let me help you plan your meal and then once you get the hang of planning your meal well that to takes off some stress um so and that's why a lot of a lot of the way we eat in our diet is connected to psychology our guts connected to psychology all those things um but when we're looking at this like extreme diet in this extreme way, well, I can't go and enjoy a meal with my husband if I'm like super worried about how the cook's cooking right in the back of the restaurant. So it's like, that's just not real life. Um, and I think for my family situation, that would create more stress. Um, not that other families couldn't handle it or couldn't do it. It just would not make sense for my real life. Um, cause that just, 
yeah, that just doesn't make sense. And it might for other families. Um, but for us, you know, on the road, seeing family, you know, I, we have some Colts coming up. I want to take them out and go to jackpots and rodeos and all those things. Like I'm going to have to, at some point, (laughs) eat a food that is maybe processed. So it's like, that would be more stressful for me to be like, oh my gosh, I can't in my diet. Um, Which I actually saw a lot with the gluten-free trends that seemed super stressful. Um, The lactose-free, that was a trend that was super stressful. Um, So... Yeah, if that doesn't make sense for your family, and I don't really know, I I probably would have to dive into um, this extreme reduction of chemicals and this extreme dye-free diets, um, if it actually does show disease-free, et cetera. Um, But like I said, there's, it's really hard to do that in the real world as far as a research study goes. So it's hard to do. And a lot of the stuff is so recent. Like, I mean, it's not like recent as a general term, like within the last 50 years, we just don't know how that is impacting people because we don't right. have the research. Like it doesn't yep. exist. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a lot of the reason that people are so scared of some of those things is because mm-hmm. we don't know. Right. But there are so many things out there to be scared of when it comes to food, because everyone tells us to be afraid of everything. Everybody right. has an opinion of, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. So obviously we can all make decisions about our personal preferences and things that we want to try. But is there anything out there right now that you're like, yeah, you should actually be scared of that or there you should actually really be trying to avoid that right now? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of like one one specific thing because... Besides, and I joke, but it's like besides like moldy food, like there's really, <laughs> there's really like not off base foods. Um, now, I will say um, a good example is like some of some people with heart disease, right? Which we, we could throw stress in there too. But like, let's throw, talk about heart disease um, and how it relates to what we're seeing with like the dairy, beef, etc. The seed oils, that's super trendy right now. We'll throw her in there too. So people with heart disease, for the most part, I rarely see a person or patient that had a stroke and one was genetic free of the family history, right? So we'll like take family history off the table and we'll add in like eating a balanced diet of eggs, a biscuit and fruit for breakfast, right? So like a balanced breakfast (laughs) and then it's like lunch, a balanced lunch of like I don't know, a pork chop and rice and broccoli, right? So like, all of the balanced diet in the hand of stroke in family history was missing, right? No heart disease, family history. Um, I rarely see that. I more see the constant um, having to go and dine out, having to eat quickly on the road, mm-hmm. uh, having to always have fast food, always having high added sugar items that aren't in like a, a balanced food item, like a cup of or the perpetual. <laughs> right. It's, yep. Yeah, it's the constant eating of stress, family history, and we're throwing in there lots of processed foods and not a balanced diet. Um, so as far as like foods that to necessarily be scared of, I wouldn't even really throw in fast food. It's the constant, it's a quantity mm-hmm. and it's a large everyday consumption of those foods. Um, because I can't, well, you need to stop eating burgers and fried and fries. And it's like, you can have a burger and see if they have a side salad there, right? Like if you go to Chick-fil-A, you can get a fried sandwich and a side salad um, or a fruit cup. And you don't have to get a soda, right? But if you want those things, what does it look like to still add in a healthy item where you're not having a large quantity of that unhealthy Mm-hmm. unhealthy I wouldn't even say it's unhealthy it's the you're continually having it in the quantity and the consistency that's what makes it unhealthy um and then we'll you know we can even throw an exercise in there for heart disease and diabetes are um you know are you exercising what types of exercises are you doing all of those things so um yeah it's tough and I think the fear 
is so unnecessary. <laughs> um, I always joke with my husband and I still do. It's like, if people would just eat normal, like, let's just be normal and not be so, um, well, the seed oils, they're causing all of our issues. And I'm like, are you just eating foods that are all from seed oils every day? Like all, all day long, every single meal, you're eating large amounts of seed oil. And it's not just like, one meal and it's yeah. a tablespoon <laughs> like, a little smoothies over there or what are we doing yeah. like, what why are we so concerned with like one and that was my post yesterday I'm like please stop like targeting food groups like enough enough stop doing it um because we don't eat just food groups I hope I hope we don't eat just food groups every single day and like if you do, if like you're only consuming dairy all day long, like let's talk about let's talk about like why you're just consuming dairy all day long. Yeah, I think a lot of that is we are in such a consumer society that we want to be able to fix all of our problems by just purchasing something different or changing yeah. that one scapegoat thing that we yeah. don't want to eat anymore and it's going to solve everything. But fortunately, that's not the case. <laughs> um, well, you talked a little bit about how, you know, we eat every day. We eat multiple times a day. I won't say three because I'm not a three time a day eater, but um, so it's this constant thing, this constant need that we have to fill. And a lot of us take that responsibility on for our families as well. Um, and that can be stressful if you're trying to make a change to do something a little bit more healthy or just change any kind of a habit there, where do you suggest people start or what's a good first step that they can do when they're trying to make some of those changes? Um, and it kind of, obviously it's going to vary, but I always recommend, um, this is my kind of like first step, especially with families. Um, cause it can be really overwhelming to like, okay, we're going to stop eating, dining out, right? We're going to stop trying to eat all these convenience foods. Um, what would that look like for us to at least decrease it where it's like maybe only five days a week we're going out and dining, right? Which can be, I mean, if you're eating out every single meal at lunch and dinner, and even sometimes like you're driving through Starbucks for breakfast or whatever. Um, so it's like that slow cut back, like what does that look like? Um, I actually recommend speaking of food groups, the easiest thing to me, um, is to try and look at what carbohydrates you're eating first. Um, what sources, how are you getting them? Where are they from? Because half of our diet is carbohydrates. Um, and so, and that's a good thing, right? Because we get our energy from carbohydrates, carbs, we could throw into like the fear for a while too. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily people are less afraid of carbs. Uh, we're getting there, but, um, they're on everything. They taste really good. So, right. <laughs> um, but it's hard to, because I think people put, well, I'm eating low carb, but we'll go and get like a smoothie. And it's like, no, you're just avoiding bread. Right. So it's like, what carbs are you avoiding? So what, what sources are you getting your carbohydrates from? Um, so we have our starches, that's rice and potatoes. We have all of our grains. So we throw cereal, pastas, breads, all those in there, um, and fruit. And we do have some vegetables, but for the most part, those are our three big ones and dairy. Mm-hmm. So out of those four sources, where are you getting them from? How often are you eating them? Um, yeah, are they drive through? Is it fried? Is it not? Is it fresh? Is it frozen? Um, all of those things. So that's kind of the easiest is just to look at when I'm looking at my family meals or planning family meals or my kids are eating carbohydrates. What do those look like? Are they whole grains? Are they not? Starches? Like I said, are they fried? Etc. Um, and then the next step, you can kind of start looking at your protein or fat, either one of those. Um, so our dietary fat, we beef gets a really bad rap because it's higher in saturated fat, large amounts, large. So like our individuals who do consume fast food all the time, they're getting large amounts of saturated fat. Um, and like I said, dairy, whole, whole, oh my gosh, I can't talk, <laughs> whole milk, <laughs> butter, um, any of our animal proteins, like we were thinking about bacon, high saturated fat. Um, and actually coconut oil, weirdly enough, is all saturated fat. So we can think about fats in that way. Where are we getting them from? Um, if we're trying to balance our saturated fat with our um, 
seed oil fats what does that look like um are we having like seed oil fats are good so like avocado are we having avocado are we having salmon that's a good source of a healthy fat right so kind of blending those in and then protein would be the next one same thing sources frozen um fresh you know your percentage of ground beef um your leanness of your, your animals that you're picking you know pork chops you can cut off the fat that's super easy pork tenderloin super lean um so kind of looking at the cuts and things like that so just kind of going down the line and then fruits and vegetables we can go throw there and do them in there um people can kind of get overwhelmed like well if i eat if i get fresh everything um the good thing you don't have to frozen uh, because of how it's processed now you know we'll throw the processing word in there in a good way right so we're they're freezing it for a good way so all frozen vegetables are blanched so they're cooked a little bit then frozen so it doesn't take any of the nutrients out um so people, especially financially, if they're like, man, I can't eat healthy financially, that's a struggle. Frozen's just as good. Canned, uh, if you want to throw in some canned vegetables, just rinse out a little bit of the sodium. And even a little of the sodium is not bad, especially for right now. Like West Texas, I sweat a lot today. So <laughs> it wouldn't be bad for me to have canned vegetables and sodium, right? Um, so just kind of work down the line. But carbohydrates are the easiest because since it's 50% of our diet, um, that's the easiest, I think, to tackle and then work down. But it can be overwhelming. So take one one bite at a time. Um, you know, it doesn't have to change overnight. And if you're a planner and planning helps you, that's fabulous. Um, some of my clients do better if I just kind of give them a guide of like, okay, this meal, you know, you need to pick four carbohydrates and then pick a really nice lean protein or somewhat lean, you know, if you want to have like a BLT and then let's look at your vegetable servings, um, vegetable servings, we recommend to have three to five a day and they're half cup servings. So they're pretty easy to measure. Obviously for kids that are younger, that's less cause they're smaller. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just picking things, picking items rather than, oh my gosh, this entire meal needs to be <laughs> chef designed. Yeah. Right? Um, so like really basic, you know, start with the meals that your family already likes at home. And like, how can we change those up a little bit? Right. So instead of having, um, like spaghetti meat pasta, having whole grain, if your kids typically don't eat whole grain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to, I mean, they even have white bread that looks like wheat bread obviously kind of going back to wheat if you could just get the whole grain bread i think it would be better off for you and your family but getting your kids to try any things that maybe have you know higher iron higher in protein higher fiber are always really great so fiber is probably the hardest for your kids to get in <laughs> because they like the things that are lower in fiber you know like basic mac and cheese basic yeah. chicken nuggets um but i mean you'd be surprised kids uh all the research out there right now like i'm not a youth researcher but um all of the really nice research out there right now especially in like textures and things like that you have to introduce just introduce like put something on your child's plate um, at least five times before they will try it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is just the consistency and the patience of they hated broccoli and they threw it. Okay. Well, they don't know what that looks like. You know, they've never seen the baby trees. Right. So just putting it and just sticking with broccoli, right. Don't changing it up. Like tonight we're going to do broccoli tomorrow. We're going to do tomatoes, just broccoli. So full week of broccoli you can cook it differently. You can make it differently, but stick with broccoli. And then they might try a couple bites and then like the next week go to like cucumbers. So it's just a lot slow, patient, monotonous annoyance. <laughs> Cause I think in our adult mind, it's like, they, why does the, they don't try it, you know? Um, but I mean, they have little minds, so it's, okay. yeah. So it's first starting with tracking and kind of knowing what you're eating. And then the first thing to shift is carbs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's interesting about kids. Like that's probably not the approach I naturally take when I try to get my kids to eat something like vegetables or something, I'm like going to try it. And then if they don't eat it that night, I'm going to try something different the next night because I'm like, well, maybe they'll actually eat that and they'll get a vegetable in versus another day of them not getting a vegetable. So that's interesting to continue with it for that long. Um, I think a lot of us also have like the mindset of when we were young, we were told we had to clean our plates. So throwing food away is like, (laughs) <laughs> a mental yeah. hurdle that we have to jump over yep yes <laughs> same <laughs> yeah well okay I have like a lot more questions but I think the most important one I wanted to make sure we talked about before we go is specific to rural areas so 
I don't, in my opinion, you can tell me I'm, it's different, but there's not a lot of dietitians in rural areas. If there is dietary information or education happening there, it's probably happening through like an extension program. Is that yeah. fair to say? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. So how do we make that leap to overcoming and providing more resources in rural areas because we know that there are one limited educational resources and then also limited options that like for me example I have very strong preferences and my husband does as well about what we eat because we like eating what we were raised with which is a very narrow selection of options that were available in our communities right right So how do we make that jump of here's more resources and then also here's how to kind of step out of your comfort zone when it comes to food to make some better choices that may, even if you weren't raised that way. Mm -hmm. Um, man, that's tough. That's actually part of the reason I made rural health education. Right. Um, in the good thing with COVID in a really nice trend is like my software system meeting with patients plus zoom, it's all virtual. And so, Making that more accessible, um, this is actually my long-term goal with rural health is having a dietitian located in rural states that are still connected to the community, but either can do face-to-face or um, virtual, but all under the bubble of rural health is my goal to have people that dietitians that understand the rural community, live in the rural community, um, can speak the cultural language of the rural community and still be able to um, work on those food preferences. Kind of like we were just talking about, like um, a big part of a thing as a dietitian. Um, so a good example is like when I'm meeting, so I lived um, closer to the border two years ago, San Angelo, my hometown, that's close to the border. Um, so I was around a really big Hispanic population. And so what is frustrating and what we see in rural communities is this doctor who maybe not from our culture, maybe is, maybe isn't, um, you know, got a really great job because they said that they were going to move to a rural community and pay off their medical bills, you know, mm-hmm. sign, sign me up. Right. right. Uh, or not their medical bills, medical school. And so, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, meet with a patient who's Hispanic and is like, you have to cut out everything that you like, or even like my family, like, sorry, no more barbecue. Right. Like that doesn't make sense for my family. Like we're still going to go and eat barbecue. Um, and (laughs) so I think one, having those resources is social media, trying to connect with a dietitian. Um, I am more than happy to like do different talks, um, or try and reach out to a dietitian that's local. Um, but I think the biggest way too is, um, to find people on social media, they not always necessarily align with your goals, but like, okay, cool. They understand where we're from, but we would love to try blah, blah, blah. Um, or my kids keep talking about this, but I want to make sure that it aligns with a healthy goal that we're trying to follow. Um, what recommendations do you have? Um, so I think, you know, using social media would be really good. Um, there are, now that you said extension agencies, I love that you throw that out there. So in certain States, Texas, sorry, extension agents, they're not the best. Um, I think it's because <laughs> Texas is a big state, but in North Dakota to be an extension agent, you have to be a dietitian. Mm-hmm. So there are States that require that level of education. So re- reaching out to extension agencies definitely is not a bad idea. Um, or at least they'll be connected to a dietitian in some way. Um, and then also connecting to like Wix is a really good idea. Um, because they have and some form, even if it's like a regional office or a local office, they will have a dietitian on staff as well. And a lot of that information um, from the USDA, which I'll hire dietitians as much as sometimes we do hate on the USDA, um, they're doing really good things that people can agree on. <laughs> I, I still agree on a lot of a lot of what the USDA is doing a good job. Um, now, it kind of gets thrown into the government, whether or not we want to trust the government. That's a whole different podcast. But the USDA is doing great things. They're giving great resources. Um, you know, 
I still know people that are hired even outside of nutrition, like soil conservationists and things like that. They're still doing a good job. Like I was at the USDA office a couple weeks ago and they're fabulous, even though they're under the government, they're amazing. They're amazing people and they can be trusted and they are professionals. So um, really trying to find different resources. It might kind of be unique or tricky, um, but I think it would be one really fun to, you know, bringing it up with like your school district or um, if you know somebody that works at the local hospital, like trying to kind of create this in between with the resources that are already there. Um, like a PE teacher and a dietitian, like that just makes sense to me. My mom was a PE teacher and she did a really great job of even asking me, like I would send her tons of resources that were free um, for all of her students. And she was just one example, but there's a lot out there. I think that if you were like, Hey, have you ever thought about connecting with a dietitian or, you know, my kids would really love to hear about nutrition. Do you know any like professional we could find in our area? Um, so I think it does kind of take a little bit of work and advocacy. Um, but there's definitely a lot of avenues for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think I don't want anybody to think that extension is not doing a good job with what they're providing because it's just that it's not enough. Like it's not making the difference that we want to see in those rural communities. They're just one person, sometimes even less than one person per county that's focusing Mm -hmm. on those, that nutrition education. Right. Right. So I love that idea. I would love to see like some of your content just create awesome positive nutrition trends and some of the negative or like crazy ones that we see. Right. I hope that can happen. We'll have to, you'll have to tell me, um, well, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll do, um, like a preview, um, from this episode in my Instagram stories. And we'll have to talk about if you could start a positive food trend, you would do. We'll message about that back and forth and figure that out. But um, okay, so I'm going to wrap this up today. Thank you so much for all of the valuable information you've provided. I feel like I could talk about this topic with you for a long time. So we might have to have you back in the future. You can. Same. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so how can people find you if they want more information? Where can they get find you and what do you what you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, my Instagram and Facebook are role.health.education. Uh, and I do have a website and it's just one word, rollhealtheducation.com. Um, and my website, as much as I do love social media, my website definitely has the most information as far as what a one-on-one session looks like, a speaking event, um, things like that. So I think it's just easier Um you know, website, website for sure is going to have the most and you'll have to use, you know, social media. So you kind of have to do some digging. So yeah. Uh, yeah, website, website for sure is the easiest. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And folks can find those links to follow up with you and learn more about what you do and all of the great information you're putting out there um, in the show notes. And we'll definitely have to have you back again sometime, either for more nutrition discussion or for that, do we trust the government discussion? We'll yeah. see out which later. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. See you, Bailey. Thanks so much for being Bye. here. Thank you. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com slash guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.